Good morning. I normally teach a class. You guys are a lot bigger than my class. So uh, glad to have you guys here today. Um, everybody have a good Christmas? Anybody eat too much? I'm glad I'm not the only person that suffers from that problem. So um, what Kay just said about us being elder-led, um, I've been given the privilege of serving as one of your elders for a few years now. And when you start that process here, Brian has a, uh, a process that was, honestly, it was new to me. Um, you go through a year of training. And um, in that year-long process, uh, Brian, you know, kind of drills home with the, with the help of the other elders um, the responsibilities of an elder. And one of them is that you would be ready at any time to preach. Yeah. I want that to soak in a little bit. So one Sunday, I was going through the training process. This is before the never-ending construction project on 45 south of here. I live in the Dickinson area. My wife and I were on our way to church, and um, we pulled off on 517, um, excuse me, off of uh, 45 onto the feeder road to get onto 518, and Brian calls me. And all of a sudden, in my mind is this memory of him saying, you need to be ready at any time to preach. <laughs> and I'm panicking inside. I'm like, we have staff pastors that should be ready. Why would he call me? And immediately I'm thinking that's what he's calling for. So I answer the phone and he says, hey, Daryl, are you at church yet? And I said, no. And he goes, good. I need you to do something for me. There's a toilet at my house that won't shut off. I need someone to go there and turn off the water. I have never been so happy to take care of another person's toilet in my life than that morning. I don't know that Brian knows that's, that I was panicking, but if he's watching this morning, uh, now he does, and he'll probably never ask again. But the fact of the matter is it is a privilege to serve as an elder in this church because the leadership we have here, I have been able to witness a broken heart for the mission of this church. The desire that we have, or that I have seen these men live out to restore families and churches and lives and to help us put God's fingerprints on the people that we encounter on a daily basis. Your church has a group of elders that love the Lord and I am very privileged to serve you and to serve along with them. So in August of this year, Brian called me again. This time I was in Oklahoma. I was um, going through the process of trying to be the executor of an estate for my uncle who had passed away in late July. And it was a, it was a difficult time. Uh, I'd never been asked to fulfill that role before. And Brian calls me kind of out of the blue and said, hey, I'm wanting to work a couple of the elders into a rotation of speaking would you be willing to speak? And I said, sure. And he said, I would like you to teach a traditional Christmas message. Like, okay, not a problem. I want you to preach out of Philemon. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Um, it's Philemon on Christmas? Really? He goes, I want you to preach on reconciliation and restoration of relationship. 
Well, Brian didn't know what I was going through at the time, but I can promise you there's nothing that brings families closer together than a will. The only thing that will rival that is extended time together at the holidays. So we're going to get to walk out something here today that, quite honestly, I don't have mastered. I've not figured out yet how to walk this out perfectly. And the preparation for this, to be quite honest with you, has been quite painful. Because it's brought to mind relationships that I need to restore. And so as we look in the book of Philemon this morning, I want you to know that I, I'm, I'm teaching this to you, but I don't have it mastered. But we serve a God that's full of grace. And I bet I'm not alone in the fact that I have relationships that need to be reconciled. I bet there might be a couple of people in the room that would fit that bill as well. So the sermon or the, uh, the text that we're going to look at this morning is, is the book of Philemon. It's, it's in the latter part of your New Testament, if you're not familiar with it. It's, it's a book written by Paul in his first imprisonment in Rome. Nero's in power. Philemon is actually a wealthy Roman citizen who heard the gospel in Ephesus, was one of the first converts in Ephesus, and then went back to his home in Colossae and actually hosted a church there. He's a wealthy man, a property owner, a slave owner. And Paul is writing to Philemon, instructing him or asking him to show grace to somebody. To a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave owned by Philemon. We don't know exactly how this came, into, came to be, but Onesimus had obviously fled slavery had ran to Rome to get lost in the crowd because it was the largest city and had somehow come into contact with Paul who was in prison. We don't know how that happened, but we know it did happen because Paul writes to Philemon and says, hey, I want you to welcome him back. The odd thing is Onesimus's name, if you translate it, means useful. So imagine being a slave and your very name means you will be used by somebody. And that's the context that Paul writes this in. And it's, it's very countercultural the way that Paul addresses Philemon because he asked him to welcome him back and that was very countercultural at that time. You see, Christianity by its nature, when it started, was very countercultural. If you look at some of the writings that we have that are extra biblical, there's a guy by the name of Pliny the Lesser who wrote a lot of letters back and forth with the emperor. And he was talking about how to persecute the Christians. And he couldn't figure them out. He said, it's strange. He said, they get together early in the morning. They pray to their God together, they sing hymns, and they make pledges to not be dishonest, to work hard, to pay back money given in pledge. They allow women to be in leadership, and slaves are at times teaching masters. 
Christianity was and should still be countercultural. And we see this lived out. So the text this morning will be Philemon, verses 8 through 25. We have a uh, tradition here at Bay Area. Whenever we finish reading the text, we say the very words. To differentiate my very fallible words from the infallible word of God. So if you would, join me in this. It says here, reading out of the ESV, accordingly... Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner and also for Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. Remember what his name was. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me at all your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would, re, would remind us of the grace that we have received from you. And Father, that we would strive with everything within our being to live out this gospel empowered by you. In your heavenly name, amen. So Paul in this letter was actually asking for three things. First, he was asking for Philemon to give up something, to give up his rights. He was then asking Onesimus to give up something. He may have been a fugitive, but for the first time in his life, he was free. And Paul has the audacity to ask him to go back to slavery potentially. And third, he was asking for both men to live out the grace that God had afforded to them through Christ. So let's talk about Philemon's rights first. Philemon, like I said, was a Roman citizen. 
by being a Roman citizen, it gave him some rights, and especially in regard to his slaves. The virt by virtue of the fact that Onesimus had fled, Philemon could have sentenced him to execution. That was his right. It's also not stated in scripture, but it's believed that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. So by virtue of the fact that he had likely stolen from Philemon, that also gave him the right to demand his life in payment. And Paul doesn't just ask him to forgive him. He asked him to greet him as a brother. For Philemon to do this would have been very, very controversial. Their whole culture was built around slavery. It's a context you and I can't understand. But their whole culture, their economy was based on slave labor. And for Philemon to accept a slave that had ran away and then bring him back into his home and not punish him? Philemon would have lost social standing. From an economic perspective, he ran the risk of all of his other slaves running away. So Paul was asking for a big ask here. But you see, he asked for something even harder than giving up the slavery or the punishment or the retribution. He asked him to accept him as a brother. Because it's pretty easy to sign a document and say you're, you're not going to be executed. It's very different to love him as a brother. To openly embrace and accept this runaway slave as a brother would have been radical. And it would have been the most visible testimony of the change that the gospel brought to Philemon's life. So Paul was asking Philemon to give up his rights. But he was also asking a lot of Onesimus. Onesimus had been born a slave. His name meant useful. And here's Paul having the audacity to tell him, hey, go back to your slave owner, to your master. The man who can execute you and ask for his forgiveness. You see, Philemon's easy to be the bad guy in this story because slavery's bad. We can all agree on that. He was a slave owner. We don't think Onesimus is wrong at all for leaving. We wouldn't want to be a slave either. In fact, as Americans and especially as Texans, we like our rights. In fact, I bet if I walked out in this parking lot, I would see a few bumper stickers that would tell me that. Chances are there's a bumper sticker or 20 in this parking lot that have a silhouette of a cannon or an AR-15 that say, come and take it. Don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> There's probably a few bumper stickers that say, don't mess with Texas. We might even have a person or two, really don't raise your hand on this one, that says, keep Austin weird, okay? 
The fact of the matter is we like our rights and we like to proclaim our rights. We have it on our T-shirts. We have it on our bumper stickers. We have it on our tattoos. We like our rights. So for us to understand what Paul was asking Onesimus to do, give up your rights, give up your life, give up your liberty, for what? For the sake of the gospel. Onesimus got on a boat and he went back. And when he got there, Philemon opened up his arms and welcomed him as a brother. Why? It's this thing called grace. You see, Philemon had heard the gospel in Ephesus and his world was rocked. Everything about his life changed when he heard Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus. It changed so much that he went back home to Colossae and he started a church. And he was living it out. Not perfectly, but his world was changed. Onesimus fled slavery, winds up in Rome, comes into contact with Paul, gets discipled by Paul, and then goes back to his slave owner and asks for forgiveness. The only thing that makes a person do that is grace. In two days, I will celebrate my 30th wedding anniversary. I know I don't look old enough to have been married that long. I literally asked my wife to marry me at Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri. For some of you, I just gained in esteem. And for others of you, I just, everything I've said has been thrown out the window now. There have been many times in the course of our 30-year marriage that I have needed grace. Because I've not been easy to live with a lot of the time. My wife and I work together. Yeah. I I have infringed on grace many, many times. So I'm well acquainted with what forgiveness looks like whenever I I've messed up. And there's another story in this little letter written by Paul about grace that we can miss real easily. If you'll go back to Philippians and you look at verses 23 through 25, you're going to see a list of names. Paul says, Epaphras, My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Well, we know who Luke is. Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts, okay? Mark, 
Mark is a Jewish guy whose name was actually John Mark. He wrote Mark. And if you look in Acts, you will see an interesting story there. In Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40, we see this uh, story come to pass. So this is Paul and a man named Barnabas. Barnabas, literally his name translated means son of encouragement. So he is Mr. Good News. He's that glass three quarters full kind of guy. He's always positive. So Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. And it says here that after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take him with him who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, gone, and had not gone on with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So let me paint this picture a little bit. Barnabas wants to take Mark with them. Mark happens to be his nephew. Paul doesn't want to take him. Why? Because when it got tough, John Mark ran home to mama, literally. He quit. And Paul had no use for quitters. He didn't want him around. You have to mess up pretty bad for... Mr. Good News, son of encouragement, Barnabas, to separate from Paul. That had to be one tremendous argument between those two. And they split. Paul going one direction, Barnabas going another. That was in roughly the year 50. Philemon was written in about 62. So there's 10 or 12 years time that has transpired here. And now all of a sudden, this same Mark is serving Paul while he's in prison. What happened? Grace. Grace on both sides. Paul had to forgive Mark. Mark had gone to Rome to serve Peter, who was in prison prior to Paul. And while in Rome, came back into contact with Paul and began to serve him. And when I say serve, I mean serve. He did everything that Paul needed him to do, brought him food, found him clothing. He served him. And Paul considered him a right hand because they had reconciled their relationship. So in this, we have a story of reconciliation three times. The reconciliation of Philemon to Onesimus. The reconciliation of Onesimus to Philemon. 
And then the reconciliation of Paul and Mark. And that's all a neat story. But that was 2,000 years ago. What are we supposed to do with this? You see, I believe that God wants us to understand that what we celebrated yesterday, the birth of a baby in a manger, is this story. You see, you and I, we could not have relationship with God. It was impossible. Not one person in this room is good enough to have a relationship with God on our own. Can't happen. Because everyone in here is guilty of sin. Me, you, I have two grandsons here today. Them, every one of us needed a way that we could reach God and we could not get there on our own. And God's heart was broken so badly for relationship with us that he paid a cost that we cannot fathom. And he wrapped his son in flesh and put him in a manger. We celebrate that. But at the end of the day, it is God's efforts to get to us because there was no way that we could get to him. Philemon had a daunting task in front of him. Onesimus likewise had a daunting task in front of him. And they chose because they had corrected their vertical relationship. They had reconciled themselves to Christ. And they had chosen to give up their rights and pursue Christ it was no huge effort for them to give up their rights and pursue each other in relationship. Because the vertical was taken care of, the horizontal was not a problem. So that begs a question for us today. As I told you, Brian asked me to, to, to speak on this subject on this day while I was dealing with my uncle's estate. And since then, in preparation for this, as I told you earlier, it's been uncomfortable. Because relationships in my life need to be mended. I need to give up some rights. I need to love someone enough to ask for forgiveness. And I bet there's people in here that need to do the same. Because if I can ask them for forgiveness, maybe I can share with them the love of Christ. Because my rights aren't nearly as important as I think they are. Maybe I've wronged somebody or maybe you've wronged someone and you need to go and ask for forgiveness. 
Or maybe somebody's wronged you. And that hurts deep. I'm not making light of that. I've carried that hurt, carry that hurt myself. But just like Onesimus went to Philemon and asked for him to accept him as a brother, I believe that God can give you the strength to do the same to that person where your relationship is severed. You see, I don't have shoulders broad enough to carry that weight, and neither do you. But if we give that to Christ, he can bring that reconciliation. So there's the need to to reconcile relationship one to another, but the most important relationship we will ever have to reconcile is that between us and God. I recognize today is the day after Christmas. There may be some either in attendance here or streaming online that are simply doing it because someone drug you to church or is making you watch it because it's Christmas. I appreciate you doing it. But I don't believe it's by accident that you're here or you're watching. The God of all creation, the God who literally spoke light into existence, wants a relationship with you. And there's nothing you could have done on your own to cross that great chasm between you and him. Cannot be done. So he made a way. He sent his son. We celebrated it yesterday. In a few months, we will celebrate the fact that he died for your sin and mine. He went to a grave that he did not belong in. And three days later, he arose to give us access to him. That's what yesterday was all about. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, I want to encourage you to look at him and ask him to reconcile with you. The Bible is very clear about this. All we have to say is that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he saves us from our sins and that he is Lord. And by virtue of that, your relationship with the creator of all things is reconciled. And then you have hope for those relationships in your life that need the same healing. We're gonna pray here in a minute. We're gonna sing a song and we're gonna have some of our prayer team down front. And if you need prayer on any one of those three areas, I would love to have you come down and pray with us. But I want to tell you the the rest of the story. Anybody here old enough to remember who Paul Harvey is? Hopefully I'm not the only old guy in the room. So what's the rest of the story with Onesimus? This isn't in the Bible, but church historians tell us this. 
there was a bishop over the church of Ephesus. Now, a bishop just means that he was a pastor who oversaw a bunch of smaller churches. And this bishop is credited with being the first to gather all of Paul's writings, his letter to uh, Colossian, to the Colossian church, to the Ephesian church, Corinthian church, Thessalonian church, all of his writings, he gathered them together and, and saved them so that we can have them today. This bishop, his name, Onesimus. So a slave runs to Rome to flee slavery, slavery, excuse me, comes into contact with Paul who introduces him to Jesus and he goes back to his master. His master obviously set him free because they both wanted the kingdom to advance more than they wanted their own rights. And now we have a New Testament intact because of what this man did. What is God going to do through you? If you will simply reconcile, what's your story going to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that your word, you tell us many times over, Father, it's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. That analogy tells us, Father, that you expect us to be moving. God, I pray that we would be moving on the path that you lay out before us, that we would open our mouths and speak your name. And if there are those in this place that don't know you, Father, I pray that today would be their birthday, that all heaven would rejoice because they come to you. And Father, that people leaving this place would put your fingerprints on everyone that we meet that we would fulfill the calling you've put on our lives. In your heavenly name, amen.